You are listening to the Life Church podcast. To learn more about Life Church, our gathering times at any of our central Indiana locations, or our life crew online, visit us at lifechurchin.com or follow the link in the description. Today's talk is from Pastor Derek Lopez. Um, a few years back, so if you don't know me, by the way, my name is Derek. I'm the campus pastor here at Life Church in Fishers. Excited to be here with you today. But hey, a few years back, my wife and I, uh, we were at my mom's house, and I was sitting on the couch in one of the living rooms that they have, and uh, my wife came in and just kind of folded her arms and did one of these, just staring at me. And so I'm on my phone, and I'm bent over looking at it, and I just look up at her, and we're staring back and forth, we're doing this, and I'm... And so finally, I understand what's happening. There's something I've done wrong. (laughs) But in this scenario, I actually don't know what I did. So um, she's just (laughs) looking at me, waiting for the response. And I say, hey, babe, I don't know what you think that I know. That about what you know that I did wrong. I don't, I don't know, and I'm being honest this time, right? <laughs> this time, yes. I'm not a perfect human, Pastor Greg. So she laughs and then proceeds to tell me what I did do wrong. I don't remember what it was, so apparently I didn't really learn from it. But... Um, But, you know, sometimes God will confront us on things, whether we realize what we have done was wrong or not, or maybe we've forgotten about what we have done. I'm sure I knew when I did whatever action I did that it was wrong, whether it was how I treated one of the kids, what I said to her. Surely I knew. But that's not the point. But but when we are confronted by God, he is a loving God. He just wants to help us keep from hurting ourselves and hurting others. And so he'll bring this confrontation to us out of love. And it's good before we start this passage to remember that God is good. And all the time, God is good. It's important to remember that in every season of life, every mountain, every valley, every storm, every wave, God is good. Because he sees the picture from beginning to the end. There's a bigger picture that we're a part of than just our own life. And you know, God is more concerned about our relationship with him than he is our comfort. And so just keep that in mind that God is good all the time. So to give you a little recap of what has happened, David at this point, he was, he was uh, the man. He had everything. He was on the throne. He had authority. He was winning battles. He had a great commander. He had multiple wives. He, he, he had everything he wanted and more. But David gets to this point where he sees something he wants that's not his. It's like the keen and the ducky. The keen had lots of duckies. But you know what? He wanted this one rubber duck he shouldn't have had. And so he took it from the poor. 
And so what happens is David, he commits adultery with Bathsheba. He ends up trying to hide his sin. He tries to pass the kid off like the kid was never his, but Uriah won't go be with his wife. And then he tries to get Uriah drunk, so Uriah will go and sleep with his wife. He won't do that. And finally, he comes to a conclusion, I'm going to kill Uriah, and then I won't be in trouble. And it's amazing the lengths of the lie that we go to to keep ourselves from getting in trouble. And so David goes to that length of murdering his friend who has bled for him, who has sweat for him, who would die for him. And he goes from being a king who, is, who mourns his enemies. He mourns King Saul. He mourns King Saul's sons. He, 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 he does this confusing thing where he, he loves those who hate him and he hates those who loves him. So with Uriah, he's, he's relieved to hear the news that Uriah is dead. And so, so David ends up marrying Bathsheba. She becomes his wife. Things are great and things are good. And this is probably somewhere around a year's time. Some think it's, it's just over nine months after the baby had been born. Others think that it's, it's later than that. But regardless, David is the place where he can't remember because Nathan the prophet comes and he talks about how there was a lamb taken. There was a rich man and the poor man, and the rich man took what wasn't his. And David says this man will surely die because of what he's done. And then Nathan the prophet says, you're that man. And David says, that's right, I did. I did it. It was me. It's my fault. And and Nathan the prophet says, hey, you're not going to die. The Lord has forgiven your sin. Because the law said that if someone had committed adultery, they must surely die. So him and Bathsheba should have died. But God stepped in with forgiveness. And so what he tells David is that because you've done this thing, now the consequences are the sword is not going to depart from your family. So what ends up happening, fast forward, David actually, his, one of his sons tries to take the throne and he kills many of his other brothers. David has to leave the kingdom. There's a ripping that happens. There's a war. All because he committed the sin. But then God tells him this thing. He says, because you have shown contempt for me, says the Lord, the child that was born to Uriah's wife will surely die. And it's important that we remember, once again, God is good. And because he's good, he's just. So there had to be a payment. Someone had to die. And sometimes we receive God's grace instead of his favor. And sometimes God's grace comes in the form of pain. Now, I'm not saying every, everything that happens bad in your life, whether some relationship is, some person has died or someone stabbed you in the back or you lost a child doesn't mean it was from the Lord. Because the Bible is clear. Jesus says that we should, when we pray, we pray to the Father in Jesus' name. But when we pray, we ask that his kingdom would come, that his will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And you know what? God's will isn't done here all the time. That's why Jesus said to pray that his will would be done. And so it's important that we remember that, that God is sovereign, God knows all, God sees all. And it's important to remember also that God is also just because of the unrighteous blood of Uriah. 
Think about, think about it if, if, if David had died instead of the child. Think about this. The kingdom would have been up for grabs. All of David's wives would have been slaughtered or taken. All of his children would have been killed because they were heirs to the throne. So the child would have died regardless. Do you see how there's God's grace? Now, it doesn't, it's not fuzzy. It's not nice and, and cuddly. But sometimes we receive his grace in place of his favor. So 2 Samuel chapter 12, starting at verse 15, says, After Nathan had gone home, the Lord struck the child that Uriah's wife had born to David, and he became ill. Verse 16 says this, it says, David pleaded with God for the child, and he fasted and spent the nights lying in sackcloth on the ground. So Nathan, he goes home, the babe is struck with this illness, and sometimes God uses effect, affliction to get our attention. And so he's doing that with David, so then David is in this pain, but, but sinful choices bring pain. That's all that it brings. And so with David, he, he commits this sin, and it hurt Uriah, it hurt his wife, it hurt his commander. I'm sure his commander was confused why, of the, of the nation of Israel, why is this happening? It hurt people who went along with the sin. And then there's many implications after that. But it says that he pleaded with God for the child. He fasted and spent nights lying in sackcloth on the ground. So David, he takes off his, his, his priestly, priestly, he's not a priest, his kingly garments. I was going to say garments and I went to priest because <laughs> that's just Christianese in me. Um, but he takes off his kingly robes, and he puts on sackcloth and lies on the ground. But there's three things that David does. The first thing is he seeks the Lord. David sought God. So David, he, he goes after God. Remember, he's had this repentant heart. God has forgiven him. And it's important that you and I remember that we cannot live wrong and pray right. Let me say it again. We cannot live wrong and pray right. Even 1 Peter chapter 3, here's an example. It says that how we treat our spouses, if we treat our wives with disdain, our prayers will be hindered. You can be doing great things for God. You can be doing great things for people, blessing them, loving them. But if you treat those who are closest to you with disdain, your prayers won't be answered. We cannot live wrong and pray right. But David, he's at this point where, where he's had this pain, he's been in the wrong, he hasn't owned up to it, he had all this time where he could have said, it was me, I did it, I was wrong. He had choice after choice, decision after decision that he made. But God will use distress to get our attention. The second thing that David did in that scripture, that portion of the scripture, it says he, David sought God on behalf of the child. So there's something that is reinstalled in David or something that is rekindled in David, and that's a heart 
of sympathy. A heart of, I want to love. Remember, he's had this heart where he would love people and, and he would mourn over kings who would try to kill him. And yet David then ends up disdaining, because of a sin, he ends up disdaining one of his mighty men and killing him. So David goes from this place that the one who loves him the most, someone who loves him so very much, he, he ends up going and, and just, just saying, no, I'm, I'm, not gonna, I'm not even going to let my heart be affected by that. But here God starts to do something with this because the chi- even the child, David was going to let him be raised by Uriah the Hittite and just pretend he wasn't even around. He was going to let him be, uh, let him have a father, but not his true father. And so David's heart is, is, is changed here where it's, it's his son, but he sees him in a different way. And I think that sometimes God will use the pain of sin to, to reignite things in our hearts. So God uses that pain and, 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 you know, pain is good. That sounds weird, right? Have you ever heard about the little girl who couldn't feel any pain? A true medical case. She would, she didn't have any pain. She wouldn't feel pain. So what she did was she started biting off the tips of her fingers and painting. And at the end of her life, she was so misfigured because she had no pain. It's important because our body's trying to tell us something when we have pain. When we're brokenhearted, God is trying to tell us something. And so God will use that. So he does that. We see that God is tenderizing his heart. Number three, David fasted. You know, it's important that you and I, that we fast. Jesus said when the disciples were here, the Pharisees and Sadducees are like, why don't your disciples fast? And he says, while the bridegroom is with them, they can't fast. Because it's a time of rejoicing, but when I'm gone, they will fast. That's a paraphrase of that passage. He talks about uh, new wine and, and uh, new wineskins. You know, if you, if you do it the wrong way, that they'll burst. It, it doesn't make sense. Things don't fit right. But it's important that you and I fast. And the reason is this, if we can say no to something that we need, then we can say no to something that we want. So there's a difference between fasting food and fasting media. It's good to fast uh, Instagram, Facebook, whatever. That, that's good. Because Jesus said the eye is the lamp of the body. If the eye is good, then the whole body will be good, and it does affect our body. But in this day and age, with our cell phones, it actually affects more of our mind, more of our soul than it does our body. And that's why phones are so dangerous today, because we we skip through them, we look through all the videos, and we don't know the damage that's happening in our mind because it's not the reality that we live in. And so when we fast... It's good to fast that, but the reason it's better to fast food is because food is something that we need. We need, we need it to live. And once again, if we can say no to what we need, and we can choose to live on the living, the bread of life, the, in living water. That's why Jesus said, man shall not live upon bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So when you're in a time of fasting, you need an answer from God. You need to get close to him, and you're fasting, and you feel hungry. 
The answer is to go to the word and read it so that you can intake it. It's saying that I am making my spirit man stronger, that my flesh is submitted to my spirit and my soul is submitted to my spirit. And I'm going to go with what my spirit wants and not what my flesh wants. And David, he does this thing. He mourns. He doesn't eat. He rejects all that he needs. And fasting, it disconnects us from the world. And think about this. If David had been in a time of prayer and fasting when he was on on the mountaintop, if he had done that when he was successful, if he had done that leading up to the time when, when he sees Bathsheba, he could have said no because he was telling his flesh no to the things that don't matter so he could say no to the things that matter even more. So it's important that you and I, that we consistently put our spirit, our, our flesh in check of our spirit and ask ourselves is this good? One, good? one good test for everybody in this room, if you wonder if something is okay or not, is, you know, like for me, and maybe I'm a little bit more out there, but if I desire something really, really bad, I have a thought that I, I think that comes in my head, which is, is this really what the Lord wants for me? If I want this thing this bad for my body, is it really okay right now? Because who's the master? So we have to consistently ask ourselves, who is Lord? Who's my Lord? And that's what David is doing. He's realizing, I need to come back. He goes to God. He prays on behalf of the child, and he mourns and fasts. Verse 17 says, the elders of his household stood stood beside him to get him up from the ground. But he refused, and he would not eat any food with them. On the eight, on the seventeenth, on the seventh day, not seventeenth, on the seventh day, the child died. David's attendants were afraid to tell him that the child was dead, for they thought while he was living, he wouldn't listen to us. And when we spoke to him, how could he? How could? How can we tell him that the child is dead? He may do something desperate. You guys remember? Maybe not all of you have seen this, but uh, the Force Awakens. When Kylo Ren, he gets news that, that this girl's been saved, or, and, he, and he's trying to get to her, and he gets upset, and he, he, he turns the lightsaber on, and he goes to town on all the equipment, and then the stormtroopers come in, and they walk in, and they see what he's doing, and then they walk out. That's, what the, that's exactly the same scenario. As they're like, if he's acted this way, how will he act if we give him the news? And so... So David, he, he prays these seven days of consecutive prayer, and he goes after it. Verse 19 says this, David noticed that his attendants were whispering among themselves, and they realized that the child is dead. And he said, is the child dead? And they said, yes, he is dead. Verse 20 says that David got up from the ground and he washed and put on lotions and changed his clothes. He went into the house of the Lord and worshiped. Then he went into his own house and at his request they served him food and he ate. So these servants, their attitude is, is this real? Like he, he, he went into the house of the Lord and worshiped? And this says something to us about what true worship is. 
Because if we only worship based upon our circumstances, if we worship based upon I'm, I'm on top, things are good, life's good, air conditioning's working, my car's working, you know, whatever. If we worship that way and say, Lord, I worship you because of what you do for me, then that is a form of idolatry. Let me say it again. If we worship based upon what God does for us alone, that is idolatry. We worship God because of who He is. Because He loved, while we were still sinners, He first loved us. We worship not based upon what He does, but based upon what He's already done. That He made a way in the wilderness and He made streams in the wasteland. Now, can we worship Him because of what He does do? Absolutely. But we can't worship Him based upon that alone. Because that is conditional worship. And so we see that he worships the Lord, he chooses, and he has an attitude of honor. And I believe David, he has an attitude of understanding that the Lord, and we'll see this, but the Lord judges justly. Verse 21 says that his attendants asked him, why are you acting this way? While the child was alive, you fasted and wept, but now the child is dead and you get up to eat? You know, many times how we worship in storms is a testimony to others of our faith. Verse 22 says, he answered, while the child was alive, I fasted and wept, and I thought, who knows? The Lord may be gracious unto me and let the child live. You know, me personally, I don't want to live a life of what ifs. And so, I think for David, his thought was, what if I press in? What if, what if I do this? Maybe he'll move. And it's a lesson to us to understand that we can't live in life, a life of what if. What if I had sought the Lord? What if I had seeked after him? What if I'd poured out all of my heart? And that's David's attitude. And thank God. Thank God that Jesus came, that the wrath of God was satisfied in Christ Jesus for those who call Jesus Lord. Amen, everybody? So thankful for that. You know, they believe that David prayed this prayer in Psalm 51, and it makes sense, and I'll go through some of this and explain. But David prays this prayer that's recorded, and he says this, Have mercy on on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions, my sin is always before me. And he says in verse 4, against you and you alone only have I sinned. This is uh, Psalm 51, by the way. Against you and you alone have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. This is a picture of Jesus. Jesus, he entrusted himself to the judge who judges justly. And that's what David chooses to do. And the baby dies instead of David. What did Jesus do? He died instead of us. 
for our sin. Moving down to verse 14. It says, deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed. His guilt of bloodshed wasn't against these men in war, but it was against Uriah. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed. O God, you are my God, my Savior, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praises. Then he says, you do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. He's saying, if there's any way that I could come and bring restitution for this, I would, but you won't allow it in this case. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. Interesting, because what what Samuel the prophet says to Saul is, he says that that I don't desire sacrifice, but obedience. That's a sacrifice to the Lord is obedience. Verse 17 says, My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. You, God, will not despise. May it please to you, proper Zion, to build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in the sacrifices of the righteous and the burnt offerings offered whole. Then bowls will be offered on the altar. So David prays this prayer, and he basically says, I'm entrusting myself to you. You judge justly. You're God, and I'm not. And I think we need to do that a lot of times. I think in our prayer time that all of us, it's good if we say out loud, you are God, and I am not. You are righteous, and I'm not. So, Lord, may your will be done in my life to submit our ways to the Lord. And you know what? If you're coming against spiritual opposition... The key is submission to the Most High. You know that scripture, resist the devil and he'll flee? Well, the first part of that says submit to God, then resist the devil and he'll flee. Because we submit ourselves to the Almighty God who has all authority, and when we're underneath his authority, then we have the authority. Verse 23 says, but now that he is dead, why should I go on fasting? Can I bring him back again? I will go to him, but he will not return to me. That phrase, I will go to him and he will not return to me, that's a comforting phrase that David has. So there's some, there's some uh, belief that says that David was just talking about going to the grave like his son went to the grave. But why would he, why would he say that comforting phrase? I think that David had insight that you and I didn't have. And even wrote about the Lord Jesus Christ in Psalms. And so, so he knows that he's going to see him again one day. And you know, there is comfort in the fact if you've lost a child, you've lost a niece, nephew, a brother, a little kid. There is comfort in these scriptures I'm going to share with you. Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14. 2.16, but this is a famous verse. It's in Luke. Uh, verse 14 is, but it says, Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son. This is obviously speaking of Jesus. And will call him Emmanuel. What does that mean, God with us? Verse 15, he will be eating curds and honey 
when he knows enough to reject wrong and choose right. For before the boy knows enough to reject wrong and choose right, the land of two kings you dread will be laid to waste. This is a very interesting prophecy also because uh, there were two kings that Joseph feared that both died. And then he was able to bring him back to Israel. But what I want you to see is that he talks about how Jesus, even Jesus, before he could know what was right and wrong, there was a time, there was a time period where he knew what was right and wrong. Here's another verse in Deuteronomy chapter 1. This is when the nation of Israel is, um, they want to go into the promised land, but they end up believing uh, 10 of the spies that go in saying, we can't overtake it, they're there are mighty men, and there are giants, and there's all these things. Well, the, 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 um, the people end up getting afraid, and then so this is the Lord's response to them, is that they're not going to be able to enter. Verse 39 says, And the little ones that you said would be taken captive, your children that do not know good from bad, they will enter the land. I will give it to them, and they will take possession of it. So this is important just because we don't see that the Bible says clearly, yes, those who die at a young age go to heaven. But what we do see is how God judges. We see the justice of God, and we have to look at the harmony of the Bible. And God's heart isn't that any should perish, but all come to repentance. So why would God judge someone and send someone to hell who had never who had never even had the option of the choice to sin. Do you see the heart of God? How he says there is a certain age where people know whether they choose right or wrong. So me, this is me, Derek Lopez. I believe personally that, that little kids that they end up passing away, that are innocent, that they go to heaven. And you'll see them again one day, so take comfort in that. I'll, I'll give you this example. My son Leland, okay, he, uh, he's a fighter, he's a go-getter, he does things that are wrong all the time. Becca's daughter, she actually mentioned, Izzy, she mentioned that, that the, one of the first times she saw Leland, Leland went like this, and then ran at her with, her, with his fist. She says, oh, we're doing this, Okay. But yeah, he doesn't know right for wrong. Like he just he just wants to have fun. We ask him, "Did you kick your sister?" And he goes, "Yeah." Like, you should be proud of me. She tried to take my toy. Of course I did. Did you pinch her? Yeah, of course I did. She deserved it. You know? He doesn't he doesn't he doesn't understand yet the right from wrong. And so God sees that. God understands that because it's his creation. Verse 24 says this, that then David comforted his wife Bathsheba. Here's something I want you to see at the beginning of verse 15. She is not called David's wife. She is called the wife of Uriah. And so in sin, it's not justified, but here she's given the title Wife of David. 
And so God, he can do a wonderful work. No matter what things or obstacles, things that we've done, he can bring healing and restoration. He can do mighty works and amazing things in brokenness and broken family. Actually, God does his best work in broken families. Abraham, like they try to have a kid on their own. And then you go ahead and move to Jacob. He has four wives with 12 kids who become the nation of Israel. Then this situation with Bathsheba, Bathsheba ends up having a kid named Nathan who was the great, 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 great grandfather of Yeshua, Jesus. And even Uriah is blessed there because she's mentioned as the wife of Uriah the Hittite at one time in that lineage that, that we give about uh, Mary's lineage that is listed. And so God can restore. It says, and he went into her and he made love with her. And this is sometime later. And she gave birth to a son and they named him Solomon. And the Lord loved him. And because the Lord loved him, he sent word through Nathan, the prophet, to name him Jedidiah. It means loved by the Lord. It's important that when God teaches us a lesson and then we sin, and he wants to take us from where we are to the place that he wants us to be at, it's important to remember that we can't always look in the rearview mirror. Because if we always look in the rearview mirror when we're driving, we're going to get in a wreck. Right? That's why the window is so big and that, that rearview mirror is so small. We, we, we had to remember that we have to look ahead, that it's, it's behind us. There's a wonderful song that Elevation sings. It says, you can move on. It's over now. Your sin here in the presence of the Lord. God forgives us and he wipes away our sins as far away as the east is from the west. We just need to remember the thing that we need to remember and ask ourselves consistently all the time. Who is my Lord? Worship team, you can go ahead and come on fr- up front. So let me ask you that. Who is your Lord? Because David, when he was king, he thought of himself as his own Lord, but he had a Lord. We all have a Lord. And yes, we have a boss that we submit to, or there may be somebody that's over you you submit to, husband, whatever. But at the end of the day, the most important relationship is your relationship with God. You submit to him above all else. We're not lords. We're stewards of our lives. If you were encouraged by today's talk, be sure to rate us, share with a friend, and hit subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you stream your podcasts. Our mission is simple. Come to life, connect to grow, find your purpose, make a difference. Thanks for listening to the Life Church Podcast.